Uh, do you love me? Okay. Uh, we'll hope you say that after I get through preaching to you. Thank you, Lord. Lord, we pray over the word. I pray that you would uh, bless me with an anointing from the Holy Spirit that I may preach your word in Jesus' name, that we would receive it without condemnation in Jesus' name. Amen. Hallelujah. I got a stern word for you today. Um, I'm not I'm not fond of giving stern words. Uh, I think everybody likes to be lacked, liked. Um, but there I heard a whole sermon on why we need to seek to please the Lord and not seek to be liked. So that's what the whole world, if you watch TV, just about 100%, just about 100% of the commercials and all the programs are telling you how to be liked. You know, make you want to be liked. From deodorant to, you know, everything else. And uh, what we God wants is... He wants a, you know that verse that uh, you were quoting, Ginger? Yeah. Uh, it is better to uh, believe, uh, trust in the Lord than to um, put your confidence in man. Do you know the address of that verse? Or did you just have it memorized? Did you read it? It's 118. Yeah. Psalm 118, verse 8 and 9. Verse 7 and 8, actually, and 9. Do you know what Psalm 118, verse 8 is? It is the middle verse of the Bible. Isn't that interesting? It is better to put your trust in the Lord than to put your confidence in man. It is better for you to want to please the Lord than to please men. Now you are supposed to do, you know, it talked about slaves or workers working as unto the Lord, like you were doing your job as unto the Lord. Not with eye service to please men, but with goodwill, giving God your will. Goodwill service as unto the Lord. So you're supposed to do your job to the, as on, that you're, like you're serving God. And Peter says, if you're, if you're wanting a good uh, boss, before BC, I call it BC, before Christ was in my life, I had a lot of jobs. Most of them I quit, but the other half I got fired because <laughs> uh, I had other things in my life that was more important alcohol drugs gambling that was the big one and so but I worked for a lot of, a lot of places 
And I didn't work for very many good bosses. They were not nice. And I hear people complaining about their boss all the time. I complained about my boss all the time. And I never found a really good one. I mean, good by the way that they treated me. That was my standard, see, how they treat me. And uh, the Bible says in First Peter that says, just as Paul was saying in Ephesians, that you serve, you do your job, not with eye service as men pleasers, but as goodwill serving the Lord. And Peter says that. He says, it's nice to have a good, and I'm going to paraphrase this. It's nice to have a good boss. But um, if you have a froward boss, you know what froward means? I don't know either. I, I've read that word and never really knew what it meant. Didn't sound good, though. No, I, I know kind of what it meant. I never looked it up. I just could tell by it meant. It mean nasty. It mean no good, you know, lousy. A froward boss, you know, get in your face, boss. Okay? What's that? Froward? F-R-O-W-A-R-D. Froward. You think I was mispronouncing it? <laughs> you know, I got a, a bad paper in college one time because I quoted a verse and they said I misquoted it and circled the word. And it talks about in the Sermon on the Mountain about it talks about the savor of his knowledge by us in every place. Or not, that's a different word. It uses the word savor. It uses the word in, in the same thing. It, it's, just, it's like uh, we are the salt of the earth. But if the salt has lost its savor, it is good for nothing. But to be cast out and be trodden underfoot of men. So I'm, I'm quoting that verse. And my professor circled that verse with great big misspelled. It's flavor. If the salt has lost its flavor. That's not what it says. Okay. I could go on with a few others. But my wife catches me at a lot of mistakes and I'm, I'm working on it. I'm a, 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 a job in process. So, so uh, Peter says, if you have a good boss and you do your job and you serve, what do you more than others? That's what Jesus said. If you salute your brethren only in the Sermon on the Mount, what do you more than others? But if you serve a bad boss and you do it as from the Lord, that is well-pleasing to the Lord. That's what it says, well-pleasing. So you have an opportunity when you have a nasty boss. Now, I don't know why I got into that. I guess I'm trying to avoid what I'm really going to share. Okay, let's put up John, the first chapter. John, the first chapter. We're going to go to verse 14. I'm going to go kind of fast. So be ready to skip along. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus was God. 
He was God, fully God, and he was man, fully man. He was part of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But he was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him. And without him was not anything made that was made. All things were made by Jesus Christ. And there wasn't a thing that was made that was nothing on this planet. Where my, my shoes that were made in China no, were made by God. He made the molecules and the atoms that's in those shoes. And uh, he made man that knows how to put the leathers together. But he made everything. In him was life and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in darkness. Leave this one up a minute. And the darkness comprehended it not. Many, few translations say that same thing. A few say the darkness could not extinguish it. Could not put the light out. And why? Because they didn't understand it. They couldn't comprehend it. Why would they try to put the light out? Because they didn't understand it. Next verse. There was a man sent from John. His name was John. This is John the Baptist. And the same came for a witness to bear witness of the light that all men through him might be might believe. Jesus came that all men might believe. Next verse. He was not that light, but he was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light. Which lighteth every man that comes into the world. Every man. Every man at one time or another is given an opportunity to see the light of God. Every man. Somehow, somewhere, I don't know how, I don't know where, but it says right there. Next, He was in the world. And the world was made by him. And the world knew him not. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them gave he power or authority or rights to become the sons of God. It's like power is exigency of rights, authority. The, we're, we get a lot of words from Greek. One of them is from exousia, executive, going back to bosses. To become the sons of God. Uh, some translations correct that and say children of God even to them that believe on his name see anybody who believes which were born not of blood nor of the will of flesh nor of the will of man but of God this is the last one the word was made flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory the glory as of the only begotten of the father Full of grace and truth. Go to Ephesians, the third chapter. I was talking about this uh, Thursday with a group. For this cause, I, the prisoner of Jesus Christ. You guys think I've taught about this a lot, but actually I was talking, I've been preaching on the fourth chapter, which says, For this cause, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation with which you are called. That's Ephesians 4 1. 
But this one says, the prisoner of Jesus Christ. For you Gentiles. In other words, we are, we've talked about gifts of the Spirit. There are many gifts of the Spirit. Uh, there's the nine manifestational gifts of the Spirit. There's the fivefold ministry gifts of the Spirit. There's the seven motivational gifts of the Spirit. Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12 and 14. And uh, uh, Ephesians 4. And so to understand that basically the gifts that God gives us, he gives us all gifts. All of us are called and given gifts. But you have to stir those gifts up. They just don't happen. So he says this, for this cause I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ, in order for you to stir your gifts up in God, is you have to recognize that one of the metaphors that is used is that you are God's property. God owns you. You are his prisoner. Matter of fact, in Ephesians 4, it goes on to say, when he ascended, Christ ascended on high, he gave gifts to men. And then he goes on to say, what did he first descend into the lower parts of the earth? And then he was raised, and it says, and he led captivity captive. You know what I mean? He led us out of hell and into heaven. Because we were in hell because we were captives of, the, of Satan, of the devil. And he says, and he, and he gave, Christ gave gifts unto men. So part of the package of being raised with him and seated with him in heavenly places, according to Ephesians 2, is that we have been given gifts unto men. We, have been, we are ourselves gifts unto men. Just as Christ was a gift for us when we are conformed to his image, we are supposed to be gifts to one another. But we have gifts, but those gifts are so that we can be gifts for one another. And so for this to take place, you have to have an attitude like that is in Ephesians 4. For this cause, I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus, of the Lord, beseech you, and that word is beg you, to stir up the gift, to walk worthy of the vocation with which you are called. In the King James, it says vocation. You know what? Everybody knows what a vocation is. That's your job, right? Well, you have a job in the body of Christ. And that job, you're supposed to stir, stir it up because it says walk worthy of the vocation. The word vocation is the same word. Uh, it's derived from the same meaning in the same Greek word where it says, by which you are called. You are called of God. The, the walk worthy of the... In, in, King James, I love King James. I Possibly because I've memorized a couple of thousand verses in King James. But I study all translations. And it's the same word, uh, the word for 
calling is uh, the church is ecclesias, you know, and this word for the word calling is ecclesias. It's a devoration. It's like paraglesis, glesis. And the word for vocation is a der- derived from the same meaning. And it says that you walk worthy of the calling with which you are called. And in order to do that, what Paul is saying here is you've got to have an attitude. And that attitude is that you, when you, Jesus was raised from the dead... He gave gifts unto men and he took captivity who was prisoners of hell into heaven, prisoners of heaven. And so when you are raised from the dead, you didn't know it, but you, you know, it's like when Bob Dylan got saved and he, he came, his famous verse that he came out was, as you got to serve somebody. You're going to serve somebody. It's going to be the devil or it's going to be God, but you're going to serve somebody. Now, you don't have a choice. You may make all these choices. You, I think you have a choice to serve God, but you don't have a choice to serve the devil. You're either going to serve, you're either going to serve God or you're going to serve the devil. Why? Because we have been led captivity captive and we have gifts unto God and we are to walk worthy of the calling. In order to do that, we have to view ourselves in the same way Paul did. To see ourselves as a prisoner of the Lord. And that word Lord means sovereign God. It means the boss. And so you have to walk worthy. To walk worthy, you have to have the attitude is I don't belong to myself. And I don't belong to anybody. I belong to Jesus Christ. I have been bought with the price. He has paid my ransom, but there comes a price with it. He's paid my rent. He's paid for me to get out of hell, but now he's, I'm in heaven. What a wonderful thing to be a prisoner of the Lord though. But it takes an attitude in this. It, he's expressing this same attitude here. The only difference is he says a prisoner of Jesus Christ. Now in the Hebrew and the Greek, when they said names and they put them in certain orders, they, there was some meaning in it. That's something we don't really get all the time. But when he said prisoner of the Lord, he's talking about he's the boss. But when he says, for this cause, I the prisoner of Jesus Christ. And he goes on to say, what is a prisoner of Jesus Christ for? For us. You see, for you Gentiles. I've got to go. Go. Next verse. Move fast. If you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, which is given me to you word, how that by revelation he may known unto me the mystery as I wrote a foreign few words. Some people say that that was a second letter. I don't believe that. What I believe is talking about the first two, the first chapter that he was talking, that he wrote. So you got to study to know what those, what, as I wrote a foreign few words, he's talking about a chapter before, which is awesome. Whereby when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ. Which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of men. As it is now revealed to the holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. 
that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs and of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ by the gospel. Whereof I was made a servant. Minister means servant. Diaconate means servant. Anytime you see the word minister, it means servant. Which more accurately think you servant. According to the gift of the grace of God given me to, uh, given unto me by the effectual working of his power. I love it when they use three words that mean power at the same time. Effectual working of his power. Unto me who am less than the least of all saints. I really don't think this has been super humble for him. I think that he not only believed it, but he also wanted everybody else to believe it. Not that he was less than the least of all saints, that you are the less. You know, one of the things that says, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought to think. God wants to see you as the less, less than the least of all saints. I think. But he didn't want to come out and say it. That I should preach among the Gentiles. Now leave this one up for a minute. I'm sorry. I got to talk about this one. That I should preach among the Gentiles. The unsearchable riches of Christ. And I had a little funny thing happen to me last night. I'm a night person. I admit it. Uh, I frequently go to bed at 11 o'clock in the morning for the night before. Not frequently. That's not a frequent thing. That just only happens like once or twice a week. Anyway, but I usually go to bed around 4, 5, 6 o'clock. Cause I, and it, one of the problems is this thing. <laughs> Man, I, I don't know if this was a good idea to give me this thing because it's like, I'm like a... Uh, attic in a candy store or something and it's with my Bible apps oh I love them and I'm looking up words and words and words it's so ironic you know Tim Keller used to say for you to be converted mean God changes you a great deal I was a terrible student in school I hated high school I hated junior I hated it all I hated it all I could go into details of how bad a student I was. But now I just love learning. I'm so hungry. I was praying last night and I was broken in the spirit. And I was saying, God, why didn't you put this hunger in me when I was 30 instead of 71? I, when I was 30, I was in the ministry too. But, and I love the word, but it's now it's like, oh. So I look up these words and I study them because I, I never had learned any Greek or Hebrew, but I'm learning and I'm studying and I'm studying. And I looked up this word, unsearchable. It says it's of a foreign origin. They could not come up with a, the Greek word for it, uh, except a made up Greek word for it. It wasn't in, originally in Greek. It was a foreign word. Or used. Okay. Then it says uh, in the etymology, the, the definition. It says, um, um, how is it? 
one of its one of the things is is it's it's past fi- finding out. And the other one said something similar to that. And I was so tired. I'd been studying for hours and praying for hours. And I'm like, reading that. I says, when I read the definition, I thought they had no definition for this word. You, can't, you know, past finding out. You can't, after saying it's a foreign nation, they don't even know what the word means. Don't, do you think that's reasonable to think? No, that's not what they were saying. They're saying that is the meaning, past finding out. <laughs> and I thought they were saying that they didn't have a definition for it. And I started laughing at what the mistake that I made. That is the definition. And the other little saying sounded like the same thing, you know? And in a way, it is. It's past finding out. The word means past finding out. But it's fast finding out. There is kind of no word for this. Because there's, you can't find out. It's unsearchable. You, you can see God. You can study God. And the more I learn, the more I know about God, the more I realize, the more I know is a lot less than the more I don't know. God is past finding out. You cannot. It's an endless, uh, it's an endless Journey. It's a wonderful journey, but it's an endless journey. His unsearchable riches of Christ is too far to find. It, you, it's, it's endless. You can study every day, all night, the rest of your life, pray, fasting, and you will never come to the end of His riches in His glory and in Christ. Next verse. And to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery. He wants us to, the word fellowship is koinonia, which means, is also translated communion. He wants us to have communion, fellowship, intimacy. Intimacy with the mystery. Which from the, now listen to this. Which from the beginning of the world, even before the world was made. I'll show you that in a minute. But from the beginning of the world has been hidden or hid in God. It was hid in God from before, actually, before the world was even made. What was hidden in God? The mystery. But listen to this. Who created all things by Jesus Christ to the intent that now unto the principalities and powers in the heavenly place. That means before. You know principalities? You know what? One of the things that they talk about in the Bible was we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities. Principality. There are principalities. That's that's a pecking order in an army, you know, in a, in a government, principalities. You know, Donald Trump, and you start coming down, and then you got the Congress, those are principalities. But principalities, there is principalities in this world that you can't see. Because it talks about the God of this world. In Ephesians, I mean in Second Corinthians 4. 
It says we pray for one another. We pray for the lost. Peradventure, the God of this world, the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not. Lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ should shine unto them. We pray that God would, the, the light of this world, the, the God of this world, little g, Satan is called the God of the world. He's also called the prince of the power of the air. And it says the powers of he- in heavenly places, listen to this, to the intent. I heard a preaching, a, a uh, sermon, not written sermon. I got a pamphlet given to me by Pastor Norm Wren. And it's basically refuting the definition of predestination as something that is absolutely going to happen. It does not mean that. One of the things that I'm predestined and you're predestined is to be conformed to the image of Christ. I can say that's a journey, but I know I'm not really even close yet. And I'm thinking if this is predestined, you're waiting an awful long time to make it happen, Lord. But that's not what predestined means. Predestined in the Greek means this is what God wants for you. This is what God's intentions are for you. It doesn't have to happen automatically. It requires us to let him do it. Hello? That's the only contribution we got. What shall I say unto the Lord for all he's done for me? What do I, what can I say? Thank you, Lord. He says, to the intent, his intentions, that now unto, that means now before the principalities and powers in heavenly places. That means that all the principalities, all the, you know, like uh, we wrestle not against uh, flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, against the rulers of darkness in this place, in the spiritual wickedness in high places. Satan is called the God of this world, and he's also called spirit of the power of the air. So there is demonic forces out there that you cannot see that are watching us. And God has an intention that before, it says before them, the principalities, powers in the heavenly places. That means before all the demons in hell and all the principalities in all the world and all the, in all of heaven, all the angels in heaven, all the principalities of the universe that he is before them. He wants to be known through the church by the church, the manifold wisdom of God. Leave the up one more time to the intent that now unto the principal now by the mysteries of the kingdom of God by the mysteries of the riches and the depths of the riches of God and the riches of God's grace before the universe God wants to de-strip to, to demonstrate himself through us that's what it says there it's his intentions is for all of the principalities we're just like under right now in this great big arena and we're in the middle and we're just 
demonstrating the power and the wisdom of Almighty God. Next verse. Listen to this. According to the eternal purpose. I love this word purpose. One of the verses that I was talking about a while ago. 2 Timothy 1, 9. One of my favorite verses. If you've heard it too many times, you don't understand the word of God. You can't hear it enough. Until now he says, you have been saved. He's talking about God. God has saved you and called you. There's that word klesis again. Called you. The Holy Spirit is called a klesis. It's a paraklesis. It's one who stands alongside of you and helps you with your klesis. You know what your klesis is? Your calling. God saved you and he's called you. He's, there's a klesis. Not according to our works. That's probably the, my favorite verse in the whole Bible. <laughs> I wouldn't be here today if it was according to our works. But according to his grace and purpose. And purpose. Grace and purpose. Salvation and calling. Salvation, calling, grace and purpose. Which was salvation and calling, grace and purpose. Which was given to us before the world began. Beginning to get a big picture here? Are you beginning to get the depth of this? The word purpose, according to its grace and purpose, salvation and calling, grace and purpose. The word purpose, I wish I could go into the depth, a depth of teaching on this. I have before. By the way, if you miss Sunday, we got something called a podcast. I don't listen to it myself because I already know what I preached. And I don't like to listen to myself anyways. (laughs) I have a whole teaching on the word purpose. It's an interesting Greek word. It's the word prothesis. Prothesis. The counterpoint in the Old Testament is, is the word showbread. Remember the showbread in the Old Testament? The showbread. The showbread is when they came in bringing in the sheaves of the first fruit and they, the priest would take the wheat, no matter what you, your, your first fruit was, and you know, if it was lamb or whatever, you'd still take wheat, wheat thing, and you would bring in the wheat. Waving the wheat was your tithe offering of the first fruits. That was the first, that was the, on the Sunday uh, of the first day after the Passover. Sabbath, Sabbath is Saturday, the first day, was they would do the first fruits. It was a festival called First Fruits. You know what it says about Jesus? He's the first fruits from the dead because he was raised, to, raised from the dead on Sunday. See, he was the Passover lamb and the first fruits. And they would take that and they would make loaves of bread. Then the priest would cook 12 loaves of bread, which they would eat and the, share with the people. It was called the showbread. It's what David ate in the Old Testament and got 
criticized for. Showbread. Sometimes it says in the kingdom, shoebread. <laughs> it's not made out of leather, it's made out of wheat. Showbread. The same word in the Hebrew is the word prothesis in the Greek. Prothesis, which is until translating showbread in the New Testament, it's translated purpose. Of what has that got to do? Well, in the early church, in one of the Eastern Orthodox church, they had a room that was off to the side of the sanctuary. And that room, a small room, but it had a table in it. And it had the elements just like we have over there. <laughs> See, on a table, the bread, the wine, and uh, in this, this room that contained all of the things that you need for, for communion, which they call the Eucharist. All right. And so that room, plus all the furniture in it and all the utensils in it and the bread and the wine was called the prothesis. That was the name of it. Why would you call a room the purpose? Because he breaking bread and eating. But Jesus says, if you don't eat my body. And drink my blood, you have no life within you. And boy, the rejoicing took place. No, everybody but the twelve left him. The thousands got fed in the, when he fed the multitude. They couldn't handle that. So they, and he told them all this, unless you eat my body, drink my blood. Because you have no life within you. He is the resurrection and the life. It's a metaphor now we do not believe in transubstantiation for some of you Catholic old timers transubstantiation means the bread has literally become the body and blood of course when Jesus said that this is my body this is my blood he said it so it wasn't literally the bread and body then it is symbolic of the bread and body the body that was hung on the cross and the blood that was shed for us And by being a partaker of that, we are only recognizing there is a mystical connection, a spiritual connection to it, so that when you partake of it, you should be understanding that this is a communion. This is why, this is where our purpose comes from. Our purpose comes from the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's why he says, this was, he was, we were given, we were saved, we were called, we've been given grace and purpose before the world began. Hallelujah. So he says, according to the eternal purpose. Which was purposed in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now I want you to go to Esther the first chapter. Esther, that's in the Old Testament just before Job. Okay. <coughs> I wrote this. I got here, I gotta go I gotta say something that I wrote down. And I worked on this and worked on this because Joe Anderson, he's down there teaching Sunday school right now. 
he's our Biden guy. Okay, he said, I'm mispronouncing this word, this king's name. So I listened to the Bible where the guy's saying, reading it. Sounded a little like Alexander Scurby with an English accent, you know. And uh, he, I'll tell you, now it came to pass in the days, and I would say a hazardous. That's not, Joe corrected me and says, that's not the way you pronounce that. And so I practiced in practice what I thought Joe said, and it was this guy who read the Bible. In his has has sures, something like that. But I didn't write that down because that's not the way you're supposed to pronounce it. I have a book. I have something that you can get on a page, and it'll tell you how to pronounce it. Pronounce it this way. And I'm, I practiced it, but I'm I'm going to read it. This is the way you say that name of Hazarus. Hash. Verus. Hash. And it's Verus. 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 Hash Verus. But I'm going to just say it the way I say it. It came to pass in the days of Ahasuerus. This was a Persian king. This guy was bad duty, man. There's a, a apocryphal story um, that is a historical story of this king. A father came to him and he said, uh, "All I have a multitude of sons. They've all died fighting in your army. I have one son left. I'm very wealthy. I will finance your next campaign completely with all my money if you will allow my one young son to stay here and not fight in the army. So what did Ahasuerus do? He had the boy cut in half, and he had his army separated on both sides, and he had the, the uh, well, actually what he did is he separated the pieces on both sides and had the army walk through the two pieces. He says, this is what you get when you try to get out of serving me. This was a mean dude. When I read the first time Esther, I thought, what is this in the Bible for? Did you know the word God isn't even in the book? The word prayer isn't even in the book. Fasting is in the book, but prayer is not in the book. And I read this and I I just don't get it. Finally, I made a little adjustment in my attitude. I know Rodney and I and Jeff Staples were studying this. And finally, I made an attitude. I said, this is the word of God. (laughs) And I reread it and it opened up to me and I said, this whole book is one of the best whole book symbolic revelation of Christ. And in order to see this, you have to see that the Ahasuerus represents God in this. God isn't a mean God like that. Well, do you remember when God, uh, Jesus gives the parable of the woman and the unjust judge and the woman is keeps nagging at him and nagging at him and finally because of her importunity she got what she was asking for and in that expression God is the unjust judge well God isn't an unjust judge 
the parallels don't always fit perfectly. But in this parable here, Ahasuerus has absolute authority and he is representation of God. All right. Esther and Mordecai are a representation of Christ in this. I'm not going to go over the whole book. I just wanted you to get that one part about Ahasuerus. This is Ahasuerus which reigned from India even to Ethiopia over 107 and 20. That means actually 1,720 provinces and 20. That in those days when the king Ahasuerus sat on the throne of his kingdom, which was in Shoshan at the palace, in the third year of his reign, he made a feast and he declared to have this incredible feast. This feast is going to take a year. They're going to celebrate who, what? Him. Okay. He's going to, you know, and he's going to have a feast. And what he's going to do is invite all the principalities from all of these provinces to come to his feast. And he says, and principalities and servants, and the power of Persia and Media, the nobles, the princes and province being before him, they came to exalt him. And he came to thank them for being, exalting him. Anyway, next, uh, did we get that? When he showed the riches of his glorious kingdom, he's, he's like, guys, look what I got. This is like what we would, if we were taken to heaven and God gave us a little tour of heaven. All right. He says, and the honor and the excellent majesty many days. Even a hundred and four score days. You see that? For a hundred and four score days, he's giving them a tour of his majesty and his greatness. He says, and when these days were expired, the king made a feast. Now, when they expired, he's having, making another feast. This is going to be all the best food and everything. They're going to be served the best wine. And he says, and to all the people that were present in the, in Shushan and in the palace. He says, in both great and small, even days in the court of the garden of the king's palace, where where were white, green, and blue hangings fastened with cords of linen and purple to silver rings and pillars of marble and beds were of gold and silver upon the pavement of red and blue and white. You know, what he's describing this is, Next verse. And they gave them drink in vessels of gold. You know, most of the time people were drinking in vessels of brass. But he's serving the vessels in in gold to hundreds of these leaders from these provinces. And it says, being uh, diverse, one from another, and the royal wine in abundance according to the state of the king. And the drinking was according to the law, uh, which meant uh, it was okay to drink all you wanted. And it says, without compel, nobody's being compelled to do anything, but you can drink all you want. For so the king had appointed to all the officers of the house that they should do according to every man's pleasure. Just have a blast. Do whatever you want. Get as drunk as you want. We're going to eat as much as you want. Just do what you want. We're going to provide everything that your flesh would ever possibly desire. Then it says, 
Also Vashti, the queen, made a feast with the woman in the royal house. She only has one queen. Had a lot of concubines, but only one queen. This is royal, which belonged to the king. Next verse. Okay. One, I don't know, 107th day on the seventh day. Oh, verse 10. I thought that was weird. On the seventh day, important, the heart of the king was merry. He was drunk with wine. He commanded Muhammad and the others, ba 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 ba. The seven chamberlains, chamberlains, that they that served in the presence, he sent seven guys of Ahasuerus the king to bring Vashti the queen before the king with the crown royal. He's going to make sure she's wearing the crown and make sure she's dressed to the what do they say to the ninths or to the tenths or to, what do they say for women dressed up. And show the people, show the people, let all the people see her. And the princes see her beauty. Matter of fact, the word Vashti means beauty in Persian. Beauty. For she was fair to look look on. And he says, I want, go get the queen, bring her in. And I want all my friends here to see what I got. I got a queen. Man, she is something. But the queen Vashti refused to come at the king's commandment by his chamberlains. Therefore was the king very wroth. (laughs) In the south we'd say probably threw a hissy fit. And his anger burned in him. Stop right there. Cut it off. His anger burned in him. Now he's representation of God. And Vashti refuses to come. Do you think he wasn't embarrassed? Humiliated? You know what they do? He asks for advice because he's so mad he doesn't even know what to do. And basically they take all of her inheritance away from her. And they have a beauty contest to see who's going to replace her. Esther wins the beauty contest. Esther comes along though. And she has, a, they have a beauty contest. The beginning of it, there's a preparation period for one year. And didn't in that, in that year, she's putting, you know, uh, all these different things. And she's gone through all these things and she's given all these clothes. And then all of a sudden she says, you're going to go before the king. You have a right to get your own clothes, to pick out your, you know, some clothes that, of yourself. Or you can wear the royal clothes, the king clothes. She, she says, I want to wear the king's clothes. I want to wear the, it was a, one of the chamberlains picked out. He says, I want to wear what you picked out. And automatically became his favorite. That was significant. So the queen was the topping of the cake. The queen, it's like you've been celebrating for over a year. Let me just give you some picture of this. This was in his third year. When Esther is finally chosen, it's seven years later. It's four years later. It's in the seventh year. But for a long time, he's having this complete big celebration. 
And he asks for the queen. And she says, no. Now what has that got to do with these other things that I've read? In John 1, it says this. I have made the world, but the world didn't know me. I came unto my own, but the own didn't receive me. Now I want to ask you a question. You are one of God's chosen people. We are his chosen people. That's what it says in Ephesians 1. We're blessed with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. We're chosen in Christ. That we should be holy. That means sanctified. Set apart for God. That we should be holy and without blame before him in love. According as he hath chosen us. In him before the foundation of the world. That we you know. And then it says. And that uh, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ, according as he or we are accepted in the beloved. Who's the beloved? Christ. We are accepted or the, belie- the believers are the beloved in Christ. That word accepted is one of my favorite words. It's the Greek word karatu. The word charis means grace. Karatu, and I got this from Rick. Karatu, when I d- described it is so much more than just grace, if there is such a thing. But there is a word, karatu, charis, karatu. It's like grace on steroids. It means in Christ Jesus, you are totally acceptable to God. That's the only reason we can walk worthy of the calling with which we are called is because we have been made acceptable, chosen in God. And then it says, before The world began. You and I were chosen, blessed, made acceptable before the world began. Why? You know, the gospel isn't that, you know, you're saved by grace through faith that not of yourselves. That's part of the gospel. That's the truth. That's the message. Jesus came. First, first Corinthians 15, uh, uh, it says, that, and it says this is the gospel that Jesus first came and he died on the cross for our sins and he was buried and he was raised again the third day, which is the gospel. So that's the gospel, but it's not all the gospel because see, there was a reason God had to save you. You have been saved for a reason. You, he saved you and he's called you. Now, I want to ask you this. We've been talking about loving the Lord our God with all our heart, mind, body, soul, spirit. Strength. Our whole being, our emotions, our thoughts, everything. And you know, God doesn't expect me to love him like Billy Graham did. He just, he doesn't, all he expects me is to love him with all of me. That may or be more, uh, I can't just a little more. He does all, he just wants all of you. <laughs> Pretty impossible. 
You know what's more impossible than that? Loving our neighbor as ourself. <laughs> that, uh, I'd ask for a show of hands, but then if you actually raised your hand, I would have to call you on it. <laughs> because I have, I have never in my whole life met, maybe I've read about them, but I have never met a person that loved God with all their heart, mind, body, soul, spirit, knowledge, thoughts, ways, body. You know, I've never really met that person. And I especially have never met the guy that loves his neighbor as himself. I have enough trouble loving my wife as myself. It's my problem, okay? But, you know, God says that I was, a man should love his wife as himself. We're commanded that in Ephesians, the fifth chapter. So when I think that I'm commanded to love the Lord thy God with everything that is in me, here's something I hope you have. Nobody can say it for you, but this is the thing. What have you to give to God? Well, you've got nothing in yourself except what you are in Christ. But you have one thing. You have your will. You also have your desire. And I shared this one time about something I saw Bill Russell say. I think Bill Russell, for my, in my opinion, is the greatest basketball player that ever lived. I don't think Michael Jordan, LeBron, James. Bill Russell used to do announcing after he played with the Celtic one, several, several together with uh, the rest of them, several championships. And one time they were talking, I said this before, but you need, some of you didn't hear this. They said, what does it take to be a good rebounder? That means go up and get the ball after it's been shot and not made. Or rebounding the ball after. And he says, what do you think it takes? And the announcer says, well, it takes athletic ability. Because I knew a guy that could jump so high, it was just, and he'd get that ball. How about being seven foot two or seven foot six like Bolt was, seven foot Six, that kind of helps a little bit. Height, you know. Some person thought they had it. One of the things that a lot of people don't have in basketball are hands. They can't keep their hands on the ball. Maybe because of the size of their hands or some other reason, but they just couldn't. They need good hands to get that ball. So there were... Many of these things. And Bill Russell says, none of them are the reason. Well, now Bill Russell was possibly the greatest rebounder that has ever lived. And they were all listening to him. Well, they said, well, what is the reason? He says, the one at the top. And if you have the one at the top, it can make up for all the others at the bottom. You have to want the ball. 
I played with guys like that. They wanted that ball. They thought getting that ball, getting that rebound, getting that ball was their life depended on it. You have to want it. And before you, before I can love God with all my heart, mind, body, soul, and spirit, I got to want it. And I pray all the time, Lord, I want to want it. I read a book when a person doesn't desire God, and that was one of the first things you pray for is, I pray, God, give me the desire, the hunger. Jesus says, blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness. That word hunger is absolute hunger, which means if you don't eat something soon, you're going to die. Job says, I've esteemed the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. You've got to have a desire. Yes, God will give you that too. But you've got to want to want it. You've got to, you've got to give him something to work with. And so I'm praying, God, give me the desire for you. I want to desire for you more than anything. I want to desire you. So you have to have the desire. But if I was to ask a show of hands, I says, anybody in here loving the Lord, thank God, with all your heart, mind, body, soul, speech? I'm not going to ask for a show of hands because I don't want anybody to lie. You raise your hand, I says, let me tell you about a little something. It's like the commandments. Keep all the commandments. And right at the last one, it says, you don't, don't covet a, a man's wife. It's like, don't covet. Don't covet anything. <laughs> Which means you've broken them all then. <laughs> Coveting. I'm still not covet. Okay. Was it convicting to you when I said, who in here seeks the Lord with all their heart? Loves him with all their heart, mind, body, soul, and spirit. Was it convicting to you about loving your neighbor as yourself? Well, here I go again. I am concerned about the body of Christ. I have talked to God and God has talked to me. The prophet said, thus saith the Lord before whom I stand. I'm going to say, thus saith the Lord before whom I stand. I stood in the presence of God. I'm not special. I'm called and I'm chosen no more than you. And he's told me many, many wonderful things. It's been a beautiful And he said something for me to say to you. It applies to me. In your relationship with God as the body of Christ, are you Vashti? You've been chosen in him before the foundation of the world. To the intent that now before the principalities and powers in the heavenly places might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God according to the eternal purpose which he purposed in Christ Jesus our Lord. 
The church has been called by God and says, my church is beautiful. And I want to show her off to the whole universe. Have we responded to the calling of God? 